Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bren. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying solo, no cousin Shane, at least for this episode of the show. But that's because it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday here on the show. Long conversation went about an hour plus with old Stephen. So let's just get right into it. Fresh off the holidays, not a ton of news and notes. Other than uh, what we discussed with Steven here, we're going to be breaking down all the bowl matchups. Good old time with the man I call the college football encyclopedia, Steven Lassen. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by a friend of the show, Steven Lassen, back for his Tuesdays with Steven, was where we have to start calling it. Give him a follow, of course, at Athlon Steven, senior editor of Athlon Sports. And don't forget to check out his YouTube page, All CFB 365. Steven, how you doing, brother? Hey, Mike, I'm doing great. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you're having a great holiday season. If you're like me, uh, you took in a lot of football. You probably ate too much, uh, but really looking forward to the bowl season coming up. We've got playoff games. So I know it's the holidays, but there's a lot going on in the world of college football right now. Yeah, and uh, you and I were just joking around, Stephen. We, we both live in the state of Tennessee, and man, we got hit hard with this with these storms. We're snowed in. Didn't even know if we were going to be able to get together for a show. But, of course, no matter the weather, the time of year, Stephen is locked in and ready to talk some college football. So I love it, man. I, I really appreciate you hopping on with me here. Hey, anytime. It, no matter what the weather is outside, <laughs> no matter what time of the year it is, I'm always ready to talk some college football. I'm sure, hey, like everybody, I, I was sitting around yesterday, even though there's a lot of you know Christmas stuff going on, I was thinking about, man, Georgia and Ohio State's coming up about a week from now. Uh, we've got Arkansas and Kansas coming up. We've got a lot of good bowl games. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I know people are kind of down on bowl games, but you can never go wrong with having football on <laughs> in the afternoon, right? Exactly. So we got a lot of games to get to. You referenced the playoff. Is going to start here in uh, less than a week. We got the New Year Six kicking off. Lots of action, but some other things have happened since we last met, Stephen. So let's. I wanted to get your just quick thoughts. Early signing day or early signing period that occurred since we last spoke, and it was a little bit of a ho hum day. It used to be a cherished date of all college football fans, all all recruit nicks out there waiting a year to uh, see who's going to sign with their programs. But what, if anything, stood out to you during the early signing period? You and Shane kind of made this point last week that I think early signing period and, and just the the recruiting signing day in general is not the same as it was five, seven, even three years ago. I mean, I came into signing day just looking at the announcements to come, also potential flips there really just wasn't the big names or just the unknowns that you used to see. So I think it's lost a little bit of its luster. That being said, it is the bedrock of forming a national championship team. I mean, we, we can talk about transfer portal and coaching changes. You still have to win on signing day to be able to win in the SEC and national championship. So it is really important. But I do think going forward, I am curious how college football as a sport is going to structure signing day, transfers and everything going forward because 12 team playoff is right around the corner. Do we do away with the early signing period? Do we just go with one in February and, and 
Basically, December and January becomes all about transfers. And then February is the one signing day. I I am really fascinated to see how you balance all of this out because you have to be considerate to the players and say, if you're ready to sign, you have to have some kind of early window. But also at the same time, like it's probably beneficial to let the dust settle on transfers and coaching before you get to the signing day. So I don't really have a right answer or the good answer to to it all, but it just seems like college football is changing. And very broadly, I I think 2023, if you think about what's to come, all like USC and UCLA are on their way to the Big Ten. Oklahoma and Texas are coming into the SEC, the 12-team playoff. Like it feels like 2023 is kind of going to be the last of the year's uh, that things are the way they are. Like you start thinking ahead, like things could look a lot different in college football uh, as we go into 2024 and beyond. Yeah. And you just made me uh, think of something, Stephen, you know, the, that uh, we have not talked about previously, but we see it annually now where coaches are fired earlier than ever. And a lot of times the reason cited is, well, heck, we've got an early signing period in mid December if we're in Nebraska. I realized Scott Frost, he was already on a hot seat, but would they fire him in, in early October? Uh, I mean, and he's not alone. There's, there's been many like that. Do you think possibly pushing it back to just the regular February, maybe we, we a little bit more patient and, and maybe we don't have to make these decisions uh, to, to get these relationships going before, you know, mid-December strikes? It's a great question. I think it could, could help. In some instances, I also think sometimes you get to the point of no return with these coaching searches. And if you're also a team that's got a head coach who's, you know, it might be three and six and you just say, we're ready to move on from at the end of the year. You don't want him LSU to win a couple games at the end of the year and build some momentum and come back for the next year and make a case. And then you get into an even bigger problem the year after that. So I think it, it may help in some instances, but also I think we're just going to see probably coaching changes happen as quickly as they're ready to make the move. They're going to do it because we see the money flowing around in the SEC and the Big Ten and some of these other conferences. I mean, it's not the money is there to make these coaching changes when they're ready. So it, it may help a little bit with patience. I think the bigger thing would be roster clarity as far as maybe some of the transfer window. The first one is done. The dust is settled and everyone kind of has a better idea of where all 134 teams are going to be stacking up by 2024. We were talking about firing coaches already, Stephen. That's a natural transition to Missouri. That that also occurred since we last spoke. I'm kind of kidding. I'm not I'm not firing drink already, but Missouri did lose to Wake Forest in the Gasparilla Bowl 27-17. And you know, Missouri had some signs of life. I mean, they they had about three drives that were worth anything the rest of the time. It's kind of awful football. I mean, it was it was a lot of what we saw from their offense all season long. Now you sit here and you look at uh, you know his resume in, after three years at Missouri, seventeen and nineteen overall, eleven and fifteen in conference play. Of course, zero and two in bowl games. And, but we you know we we should note that 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 first year was an all SEC schedule, five and five. So you know that skews it a little bit. But uh, what's your overall feelings, Stephen, on Coach Drinkwitz after three years at Missouri? I know a lot of fans are they're ready to pull the plug, and some are, are you know buying their time and 
I think some of them are ready to never see Brady Cook throw another pass for Missouri, even though he has flashed at times. What What's your overall feeling on Eli Drinkowitz going into year four with the Missouri program? I think it's fair to say that there's something to prove or, you know, we're still trying to figure out if this is going to work. Um, and that, I know that's maybe very, just very kind of top level basic observation, but you mentioned the record there. You know, it feels like in 2020, I felt they may have overachieved a little bit, maybe underachieved in 2021. And we're about the same as most people expected coming into this year. I think six and six was kind of about what I had figured. And I think where most odds had kind of put them for this year, had they gotten to seven and five or eight and four, I think you could talk about overachieving. But I think if, if you want to lay the groundwork for this team to improve next year, I think it has to start offensively. I, I think give Drinkowitz and his staff credit for figuring things out on the defensive side of the ball from last season, whether it was bringing him uh, Blake Baker, promoting him to DC, also the transfers that they brought in that side of the ball is on the right track. Now, offensively, you have to figure out what you have a quarterback. Is Brady Cook the guy going forward? Um, you know, he up and down this season, eighth in the SEC in quarterback rating in conference-only games. I love the way he played against Arkansas with the mobility. But, you know, you need to see a more consistent Brady Cook, especially against the top-tier teams in the SEC. I think Missouri's got to fix the offensive line. I, I know we can talk all day about skill talent. We can talk about how much I enjoy watching Luther Burden. It all starts up front on the offensive line, and that was a weakness this year. So I think it's not necessarily yet at a crossroads or that he's on the hot seat, but I think things are starting to get warm. If you enter year four in the SEC with a losing record overall, a losing record in conference play, no winning seasons, and your side of the ball offense is the one that's progressed from uh, you know, seventh in the SEC in yards per play to 5.2 to 5.3 the last two years, it's not really getting it done. And 20 points a game in the in SEC play is not getting it done this year. So I, I think there's still something to prove. And I think we're heading to a critical point, maybe not hot seat, but it does feel like it's starting to get a little bit warm. And next year is going to be really important for this program to go from six and six, six and seven to try and get a winning season and get off of kind of this unknown cycle that we're in. Right. And you, you sit back and you say, man, he's, he better be fortunate that Blake Baker worked out so well, you know, cause if not for having uh, the defense make their massive turnaround, who knows what this team would have been. Now, now that being said, Steven, I think you and I both kind of agree that uh, Missouri maybe, or certainly I believe, much better than what their record would indicate this year. They were in a number of ball games. Uh, some unfortunate, I mean, like dropping a ball and then walking into the damn end zone, not even touched. I mean, that should be a win on the road against Auburn. Uh, competitive against Tennessee, the the only one to play Georgia to a, to a one-score game, I believe, in, of any team in the country. So it's not like it's not like this is some terrible team. It's just... You know, coming up short time after time after time and nearly winning. I mean, I if I'm a Mizzou fan, I I get it. I'd be sick of that too. I mean, it, you are what you what your record says you are. But I think, you know, I think there's a lot to like. There there's some not to like. And maybe the most damning thing what you just said there is offensive identity quarterback. That's supposed to be the drinks strengths. Yet those are kind of our biggest questions going into year four. So that's got to be answered. 
But having said all that, Stephen, we're we're not judging him based on a bowl performance, right? I mean, heck, I believe you predict you predicted Wake Forest to win in a tight ball game. I don't put too much stock into a bowl result, do you? Not at all. Uh, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, you could actually read something into them. I think now, I mean, people joke about it. Well, the SEC teams just didn't want to be there when they lose, but motivation really is a, a big part of this. I can tell you, if you watch Baylor and Air Force and the temperature was about 13 degrees, you figured out by the second quarter that Baylor wanted no part of Air Force and trying to tackle the option. You could figure that out very early on. So motivation is a big part of it. You know, credit If you want to give credit to Missouri in the bowl game, they held Wake Forest to, I think, what, 27 points? I mean, look at Wake Forest's season on offense. They were one of the top scoring offenses in the ACC, and that was without some players on defense. So I think credit to Blake Baker. I was a little skeptical of the hire based upon what happened at Miami and some of his other stops, but he did a nice job with this side of the ball. But as far as reading anything into bowl games, I wouldn't read much into it at all. I mean, look at Florida with, you know, all the opt-outs and guys missing Missouri missing guys. It's, it's not, I think at this point, they are really just exhibition games at the end of the season. And that's what we should view him on. And I think going forward, I think the question for, for Missouri is, you know, they finished six and six in the regular season. I think they need to get over the hump and get to seven and five, eight and four next year. And like you said, finding some sort of offensive identity. If anything, when Eli Drinkowitz was hired, I thought it would be offense would be a strength, maybe some questions on defense. And here we are going into year four and it's the other way around. And they're still trying to figure out who's the quarterback. Can they get some skill talent around him next season and also figure out the offensive line? Now, something else, uh, I think this is massive news, Stephen, has occurred since we last met, but it's official, already signed with the program. We had something we had been hinting at for a couple of weeks. And former NC State quarterback Devin Leary, now a Kentucky Wildcat, joined by former Vanderbilt running back Ray Davis. Uh, you know, we kind of hit at this already on the last time you were on the show, Kentucky possibly doing the biggest 180 in the SEC now. This kind of makes the big pieces official. Um, what are you expecting from Devin Leary in a Kentucky uniform, and how does that bolster your early look ahead to what Kentucky is next season? You know, I think if you go back and look at Devin Leary in 2021, you'll see that he threw for 35 touchdowns and five interceptions. The numbers just jump off the page at you. You look at this season – he was hurt and basically out for half of the season. But even before then, NC State's offense, number one, they couldn't run the ball, and they lost their best offensive lineman to the first round of the NFL draft. They really had no big play threats downfield. I think scheme was also a little bit of an issue at NC State, too. Some of the scouts, I think, will kind of hint that maybe he doesn't have elite arm strength. But from what I've seen in, in, at NC State, I think he's got more than enough to get the ball downfield. I'm not really worried about that. I think you look at his track record at NC State uh, before this season, he was one of top 10, top 15 quarterbacks in the country by most people. I think he's kind of not necessarily the exact same player that Will Levis is, but I think he can do a lot of similar things. He can move around well, make plays with his legs outside the pocket when things break down. I think it's a really nice fit for Kentucky when you add in Liam Cohen you add in Ray Davis, you add in two talented uh, freshman receivers from this year. I love what Kentucky's done this offseason. I, I think like 
We talked about this last week. They are on track to probably be one of the most improved teams in the SEC next season. And once you get past Georgia in the East, who is that second team? I think Kentucky's making you know an early case to push Tennessee to be that second team. We'll see how things shake out a little bit with those two rosters uh, the rest of this offseason. But I think if you're Kentucky, you feel really good at quarterback. You feel good at coordinator. The offensive line is the one X factor that could maybe hold this back or help this offense take a big step forward next year. Well, and that's interesting, Stephen. I, I did want to kind of ask you this as well. Now that we know Devin Leary to Kentucky is official, Georgia's going to be replacing Stetson Bennett. Tennessee is going to be replacing Hendon Hooker. Florida's going to be replacing Anthony Richardson. Spencer Rattler, TBD. But just for the sake of this argument, let's say he goes pro as well. Missouri, we just said it. You know, we're not – Brady Cook's not an awful player. He's not an elite player. He's somewhere in between. So, you know, let's assume he's back and he's Missouri starter. Uh, where would you put Kentucky with Devin Leary? I, I realize it's new starter, new team and everything, but could you make the case that Kentucky is solidified itself as being at the best position uh, at the quarterback position among those East uh, teams? Absolutely. Um, if If you wanted to give me a quarterback room, I would probably take Georgia just because of the upside and the raw talent. But if you were to rank the quarterbacks in the SEC one through 14 next year, I I'm going to guess that because he's more proven at this point, you would have uh, Devin Leary ahead of Carson Beck or or whoever you want to pencil in to be Georgia's quarterback next year. So, so right now Kentucky probably has the best defined quarterback situation going into next year uh, looking looking ahead what's interesting is all of the the more proven quarterbacks right now are in the west it's will rogers it's kj jefferson it's Jaden daniels uh, alabama and georgia will figure it out but I, I think devin leary is for sure an upper half quarterback of, of the sec going into next season now one other quarterback that is uh ironically in the east here uh graham mertz to florida that is official thoughts on that could you th- see him being Florida's starter next season and certainly judging on some of the fan reaction they they hope not they hope it's a true freshman Jaden Rashada I mean everybody wants it to be the star freshman and just have three to four seasons of uh you know the next two uh or uh Bryce Young but <laughs> there's a reason those guys are, are standouts because it, it rarely happens but what's your thoughts on uh Graham Mertz to Florida how does he fit into what Billy Napier does down there it's a little puzzling. I, I'll admit, I, I'm surprised that he's the quarterback that Florida landed. They could go out and get another one at some point. There's a lot of factors in the in the quarterback carousel and the transfer market that are still sorting itself out. I think if you're a Florida fan, I think that the most optimistic case is Graham Mertz had a ton of talent coming out of high school. Probably not the best situation at Wisconsin. Uh, offensive line regressed at Wisconsin. Offensive scheme may you know maybe been a little bit outdated. Didn't have playmakers at receiver. So I think the hope is you could look at his numbers and say, hey, he's pretty talented. He's coming off his best season at Wisconsin, and you put him in a different uh, offensive scheme with a coach who can kind of develop him. Maybe you don't get 400 passing yards every week, but if he can play well enough around the margins, not make a lot of mistakes. He gets you through the early part of the schedule, and then you can hand it off. 
If you're looking for upside in that kind of scenario, I can buy that. If you're banking on him being a eight to nine win quarterback next year, there's nothing in his history that would suggest that. I, I think it's really curious because he doesn't really fit the the Napier mold of quarterbacks at, at Louisiana and at Florida. Likes to use the quarterback on the edge a lot, play action, rollouts. Mertz might be able to do that. We just really haven't seen that enough to say that he's a great fit in this scheme. So I think it's a little odd, but I will say that I think he is talented and I think that he probably wasn't utilized the best or developed the best at Wisconsin. So I think if I'm a Florida fan, I'm saying if it's an upside play, I like it. If you're banking on him being a full-time starter next year, might get a little dicey. <laughs> well, and if there was any doubt, Stephen, that Georgia was a factor in the NAL game, <laughs> again, like I said, there was never a doubt. But rah-rah Thomas and, of course, uh, Dominique Lovett from Missouri and Mississippi State, respectively, two potential All-SEC. Uh, Dominique Lovett was All-SEC, but next year, All-SEC contenders at receiver now both committed to them Georgia Bulldogs, Stephen. And, I mean, it's you can't even say a weakness on Georgia's roster, but you could say, you know, question marks. That was That's something all season. They 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 were challenged to, to kind of perch vertically with A.D. Mitchell getting banged up. Now you're taking two elite players, putting them on Georgia's roster. I mean, this, this doesn't seem fair, does it? No, I was going to say, <laughs> what you said is exactly right. If you had to make a list of weaknesses for Georgia or areas that they needed to work on, it's probably a receiver. They go out and get two of the better receivers in the portal next year. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I'm already working on my early top 25 for 2023. Going to go ahead and tell you, Georgia's probably going to be number one in that ranking next season. Uh, a lot could change. But you know, whoever the quarterback is for Georgia next season, you're going to have Brock Bowers, you're going to have McConkey, and you're going to have two uh, transfers coming in in the SEC uh, from Thomas and, and Lovett, obviously. So what was a weakness by relative standards to Georgia has been made a strength. So it's about time something something went right for Georgia as they uh, load up for next season. But in all seriousness, these are great pickups for Georgia. Three Pete, three Pete. All right. <laughs> We haven't got to two P yet. We can't say that, but uh, you you know, kind of hinted at this. Also, this I thought this was huge. Uh, of course, big news in the SEC. I don't know if it got enough buzz around the country because I think this could have massive ramifications. But Jaden Daniels commits to returning to LSU for one more season. Don't forget that Kayshawn Booty, uh, you know, about a week or two ago, also made the same decision, and they have added a number of uh, players via the portal, particularly on the line of scrimmage on the defensive side specifically. And they have just added another elite recruiting class. Um, I mean, I, I realize I'm throwing a lot at you here, but with Jane Daniels coming back, you know, how do the Tigers factor in to an early look ahead to next season? And I mean, I think it's, this may be going a, a little too far, Stephen, but it, yeah, I love to hype up the next season as much as I can. I think LSU is is legitimate national championship contender with Jane Daniels back. What's your thoughts? Agree with you. Uh, first of all, LSU and Florida State in the season opener next year for both teams might be a showdown of top 10 teams. That is going to be a 
fantastic opener for us college football fans. So I'm already looking forward to that one. But you know, you mentioned Jaden Daniels, and I think one thing that always kind of characterized his career at Arizona State was uh, change and turnover. It was offensive coordinator, offensive line, receivers. That's not the case next year. Like he's getting a, a chance at LSU to actually have the same coordinator a lot of good receivers and a pretty solid offensive line that I would expect takes a step forward after being up and down this year, just the overall development of young players, any kind of additions that they can bring in. You, we also saw it this year that, you know, he really carried that LSU offense at times this year, whether it was on the ground or through the air. So I like this move from for LSU, just getting him back for a second year, giving him a chance to develop with the pieces, the second year in the scheme. I think it's going to pay off massively uh, for LSU. If you want to think ahead to next year, you know, they do have to play at Alabama, uh, which probably going to be one of the bigger games in college football next year. I am very curious to see when the early top 25s come out, if LSU is picked ahead of Alabama, because I think there's a pretty compelling case to, I mean, they obviously beat them this year. We see what LSU brings back. Don't forget Mason Smith returns. After basically missing all of this season, like the pickups of uh, Denver Harris and Aaron Anderson, uh, they're really loading up. So I'm putting LSU probably pretty high in my early top 25 uh, for next season. Ooh, little teaser from Steven. I like it. All right. But, hey, we went all this time. We've got some bowl games to break down preview here. And uh, let's start with uh, the playoff games, of course. I mean, that's. It's what the whole sport's centered on now and uber focused on the playoff. I always hate looking ahead to the playoff, but it's actually here, Stephen. So we got to talk about it. And of course, the one that we really care about, Georgia, number one, Georgia versus number four, Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. I mean, it's it's great. We can talk about a bowl game. We don't got to talk about opt outs and, and coaches leaving and all this. this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, thoughts on this matchup going into it, Stephen, where do you think Georgia has the biggest advantage and maybe the biggest disadvantage against Ohio State? You know, I, I think a theme of this game that I'm interested to find out is th the motivation level for Ohio State should be very high. I mean, they basically backdoored their way into the playoff by USC losing. And I mean, they were they were humiliated by Michigan going into Columbus and winning that game. And I think if you go back and, and look at Ohio State all this season, their defense, which was a weakness the last couple of years, actually was a strength. They just gave up a lot of big plays at the wrong time against Michigan. It was on the ground and it was through the air. So I'm curious to see if they have fixed some of those things uh, to prevent Georgia from hitting on some of those big plays. They will give you some opportunities, especially in the passing game, to hit big plays against their cornerbacks. So I think if you're Georgia, that's something you can take advantage of. We know Georgia really likes those chunk plays, those 10 and 20 yarders. I think there'll be opportunities for Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, A.D. Mitchell against some of these Ohio State uh, defenders to make big plays downfield. Also, I think Georgia has the advantage in the trenches. Uh, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how this Ohio State offensive line matches up against Georgia's defensive front. I just think when you study Ohio State, we know their strengths. They've got C.J. Stroud, a quarterback. They've got difference makers at receiver. They're not going to have Travion Henderson at running back, but they've got some other guys. I think they, they should feel pretty good about that there. 
But we saw Georgia when they played Tennessee. They completely shut down Tennessee's offense. They gave up some yards against LSU. I think if you're Georgia, you're probably a little bit worried, but not all that worried. Like They've done a good job of just meeting the moment this year. So I think if you're Georgia, you've got to keep the big plays down in the passing game and I think take advantage of Ohio State in the trenches and in the secondary. So I I really like Georgia in this game. I think they're the best team, but also I think just from a fan perspective, you're seeing the individual talent in college football. There's so much on the Ohio State sideline. They all look at the all Big Ten All America team and Georgia. This is two of the best rosters in college football. So I'm looking forward to just some of the individual matchups that we'll see on on uh, on Saturday. Now, one thing I hear a lot of people say about Ohio State, Stephen, is that they're more or less like a finesse team. Do you think that is a fair assessment and um if so i mean that to your point georgia should have the edge in the trenches because by god that's the last thing you could say about kirby smart's program yeah i think that's a fair assessment at times this year like you saw what michigan was able to do and you know like i said it it's weird because you're trying to figure out is like is those five plays that ohio state really collapsed on something that only Michigan took advantage of because it was probably the most talented team that they met up to that point. You know, it's one thing to to beat up on Rutgers. It's another thing to play Michigan and a, another thing to play Georgia. So I think they have been a finesse team at times, but it's also, it's also one of those things like you start studying, they've got CJ Stroud, they've got Marvin Harrison Jr. They have all these weapons. So I do think they have been a little bit too finesse and they've been a little bit predictable at times on offense, when, when you study them and you kind of see the formations and plays that they use. So I think if you're Georgia, there is a real chance to just line up and punch, trying to punch Ohio State in the mouth with the running game and all the running backs that Georgia can use. So it'll be a big test, I think, for Ohio State. But they're also pretty hungry, I think, after Michigan pretty much humiliated them uh, in Columbus at the end of the season. Any similarities at all, Stephen, to um, that epic Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma because I'm if I remember I going into that one it was a lot like yeah Oklahoma's great but they they can't do this against an SEC defense and by God they did but um, but of course Georgia outscored them and won the football game in a, in an all time classic but uh, could you see potentially a, a game shaping up similar to that one at all? You know it's a great question because I think there's always a debate in the bowl games after you've had a month is it rust or like what what wins out is it like the offense or is it the rust factor um i I could see georgia early on maybe needing a series or two to adjust to ohio state you know we see this a lot you know this when you're on the script it works out well for a team maybe ohio state has got a good look at georgia for a month they've schemed it up but I think as the game settles in, I think Georgia is going to be just fine defensively. I know, like we said, LSU hit some plays on that. But, I mean, for the most part this year, that wasn't a concern uh, for Georgia. So I'm not too worried if I'm if I'm Georgia about giving up big plays. There's enough firepower for Ohio State to say, hey, they might get one to Marvin Harrison. He's just so good downfield. They might get to, to someone else you know, on the edge. So, you might give up a few big plays, but I think as far as giving up the volume in this game, I, I would be hard-pressed to see Georgia giving that up. Yeah, and one last thing I wanted to ask you, Stephen. I mean, C.J. Stroud, you hear all the great things, top prospect, 
ridiculous stats. Not calling into question any of his ability, but what I would counter by saying Stetson Bennett, you know, for all his detractors, you you literally cannot say anything other than he steps up, he plays his best when the moment's brightest, he's a clutch player. So taking that into consideration, I'm asking you, Stephen, Stroud, Stetson Bennett, which quarterback do you got the most confidence will have a better performance in this ballgame? Stetson, give me the mailman. Uh, I, I think he's going to have a really good game. Uh, just seeing Ohio State secondary this season, uh, the matchups that they will give you in the secondary, I think there are plenty of of uh, opportunities for this Georgia passing game to get on track. One factor about CJ Stroud that I would watch in this, in this matchup, he is very reluctant at times to run. Uh, there have been several plays where he's on the edge. And if he just runs four yards, there's a first down, you know, he stands in the pocket and he's certainly great at processing and seeing the field. And he's got a great arm and, and accuracy, all that stuff that you want in a quarterback, but there's just sometimes that if you just, just take off, you can get the first down. So, I mean, I think if you're, if you're Georgia, that's something to watch. He's very, not, not going to give you a ton in the running game. If you're Ohio state, if you can keep him in the pocket and, and, and get some pressure on him, I think you can disrupt that Ohio state passing game. All right, and then um, we don't have to spend near as much time on this one, but just wanted to get your thoughts. TCU number three, Number two, Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, you know what? What are the deciding factors? Who do you who do you think will win this one? I think almost a line of scrimmage game is going to play out here. I, I think if you're Michigan, you want to be able to to run the ball and be able to pressure TCU's uh, quarterback and offense. If, if TCU and Max Duggan and those playmakers for TCU, if they have time to hit plays downfield. Um, I think there will be some opportunities against Michigan, whereas I think Michigan wants to turn this into, hey, we're going to run it 40 to 50 times and try to punch you in the mouth and keep TCU's offense on the sidelines. So it really is a, a style game. And if you look at the two teams this season, TCU won close a lot. Michigan really didn't um, outside of uh, the game against Illinois at the end of the season. And one other um, Maryland kept it close by scoring late. It was really a contrast in dominance versus just finding ways to win. And so I think whichever team wins the trenches on uh, on Saturday is going to end up meeting uh, Georgia or Ohio State in the national championship. Let me ask you this. Final thing I got on the playoff games. What would surprise you more, Stephen? Ohio State making the uh, national championship or TCU? I would probably go TCU. I just think from a talent perspective – and and this is this is a fair debate. I think that a lot of people have, have been having over the last couple of weeks. If you're Georgia, who would you rather play? I don't think I'd want to play Ohio State. Like if I power ranked the top three teams after Georgia, and I'm Kirby Smart, give me TCU because I think they mat that's a better matchup. I, I just think if you're Georgia, you don't want to take the chance with maybe C.J. Stroud getting hot and all those playmakers for Ohio State come to play. Like from a roster talent perspective, they can match up with anybody in the country. Uh, I would much rather take my chances with TCU and some of the matchups that are in that game. All right, well, we got a number of other SEC bowl games here over the next week. I wanted to ask you about the Sugar Bowl, Stephen. Number five, Alabama. Number nine, Kansas State. Just 
won the Big 12 championship game in Epic over TCU goal line stand. Memory serves. But uh, thoughts on this one? You've already said lock of the week, Kansas State. I said, hold on, Stephen. Bryce and Will Anderson are playing now. So I, I would imagine you're changing your tune here. I am. I'm I'm issuing my apology <laughs> as we speak to change my pick uh to, to Alabama. I, I think it's just it's fascinating to me how Nick Saban has been able to keep this team locked in despite not having the SEC West title implications at the end of the year. Not surprised about the Auburn game. I'm referring more to the Ole Miss game on the road, uh, just being able to go on the road and win that with nothing to play for. And then to be able to to get to this situation where you're going to have Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Jameer Gibbs, a full roster. So I'm thinking here motivation in bowl games is always a question, not a concern for Alabama here. It's certainly not a concern for K-State, given they won the Big 12 and they won a shot at Alabama. So I'm changing my pick. I like Alabama for that reason, motivation and all those factors playing. I do think if you're an Alabama fan, you're trying to figure out like, hey, what does what does K-State do well? They change quarterbacks to Will Howard. You may remember Adrian Martinez was their starter at the beginning of the season. He was a better runner. Will Howard's a better passer. And Deuce Vaughn, uh, LSU fans probably remember him from last year's bowl game. He can be a dangerous all-purpose weapon. Big plays on the ground, also catching passes. K-State is also just rock solid. Offensive line good defensive line, don't make a lot of mistakes. So they will try to shorten this game, kind of minimize their mistakes, try to force a couple out of Alabama. I think it try to steal this game in the fourth quarter. But if I'm Alabama, I think I feel pretty good about Bryce Young being motivated in his probably last game at Alabama. Right. Yeah, so now that we know Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing, and I don't believe they have a single opt-out Alabama, um, would this be the biggest surprise to you uh, among all, maybe all bowl games, but really I'm thinking all SEC bowl games. Would this be the biggest surprise if Kansas State won? Absolutely. I think given the circumstances now and just having the two best players uh, for your team playing, plus, like you said, no other opt-outs, it seems like motivation and the interest level to play this game is pretty high for Alabama and to just to finish the season on a high note. So that's why I'm issuing my apology to take <laughs> Alabama. I, I think they beat K-State in the Sugar Bowl. All right. And then on Friday, we got the Orange Bowl, Stephen. Big time showdown. Number six, Tennessee. Number seven, Clemson. An all-orange matchup for the Orange Bowl, ironically. So uh, thoughts on on this matchup? And, um, man, I, I can't wait for this one. This And I, I got no idea. I mean, I can, I can see either team winning it. Absolutely. I, I think the the theme of this game for me is quarterbacks. You have Tennessee with Joe Milton making another start. He won't have Jalen Hyatt. He won't have Cedric Tillman. But I do think if you when you watch Clemson this year, they are very good up front. Um, they won't have Miles Murphy. They're also missing a starting linebacker, so they're down two starters. But their defensive front is the strength of this team. Teams have passed on them way more than any Clemson defense in recent memory. So I do think if you're Tennessee, you like your chances of Milton and some of these receivers hitting on some big plays in this game. On the other side, Cade Klubnick took over the starting job from Clemson. You know, Of course, he was touted quarterback in last year's signing class, 
Clemson fans have been wanting to see him all season. He takes over the job in the ACC championship game and is now the full-time starter. So this is his first start. Uh, So I think motivation, obviously, will be very high to go out this year on a high note and make a statement in the Orange Bowl. So I I think given Clemson's weaknesses relative in the secondary and some of the the weaknesses for Tennessee's secondary this year, I could see kind of a fun back-and-forth game going on also i'm curious about motivation for clemson they, they don't miss the college football playoff too often I, I think Dabo's done a good job of getting them locked in for this game but they don't play in, in in games outside the playoff too often at the end of the year let me ask you this steven which uh program do you think this game a win or a loss would be uh you know more beneficial or, or more um, negative, I guess you could say, because Tennessee, well, a lot to prove, won some big games, Alabama, looking at you. Uh, but this would be, I don't want to say a defining moment because because I think the, the hopes are even higher on Rocky Top, but winning a New Year's Six Bowl for the first time in over a decade, I mean, uh, 11 wins, can't even remember the last time that's happened for Tennessee. I mean, that would be huge for Josh Heupel, uh, whereas uh, Clemson, if they drop this, man, you, you said it yourself. I mean, I, I realize we're expanding the playoffs, so they'll they'll get more trips, I would think. But I don't know. I think a lot of people look at Clemson and they see a program that is somewhat in decline. I don't know if you believe that or not, but uh, just I don't know which which program do you think a, a win would move would, would be more valuable to kind of prove the doubters wrong, so to speak. I think it's Clemson. And I think here's my reasoning for that. I think if we start thinking ahead to next year a little bit, I don't think you can pencil Clemson in as the favorite in the ACC anymore. I think Florida State's improving. I'm a little skeptical that North Carolina is going to be able to challenge Clemson next year. But it does feel like there's more of a debate at the top if you're going into the next year for the ACC. You combine that with Dabo's reluctance to use the transfer portal, some of the other things, I just, it's not, I don't know if I necessarily say decline, but there's a lot of kind of building questions about where this is is going. And not to mention, they've had just ongoing offensive questions this year. Um, they're not as good as at receiver as we're, we're used to seeing out of Clemson. So I do think if they lose this game, it only adds, I think, to some of the uncertainty about this program. I mean, they were still pretty solid this year, given all those questions, but you know, if, if they lose this game and you go into next year not being the favorite in the ACC, I think that just only adds to the little bit of growing uneasiness, maybe if that's the, the word at, at Clemson. Right. And I'll tell you what, Stephen, they both desperately need a win so they can at least save some face with all these South Carolina Twitter a- attacks ever since uh, getting shellacked by the Gamecocks. And Perfect segue. I timed that perfectly. Number 19, South Carolina. Number 21, Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl. An interesting matchup here. A lot on the line for both these programs. Um, But I would think it would mean a little bit more to Shane Beamer and company. What's your thoughts on this matchup? Agree with you. I, I think if I'm South Carolina, I would love a shot. And you're getting one at Notre Dame. I mean, We all know everybody's feelings about Notre Dame in the SEC, so uh, we don't have to be shy about that. (laughs) Notre Dame has had a weird season. Uh, They started 0-2. They 
They lost to Marshall. They also lost to Stanford. Just two of the worst losses by a team in the top 25 this year. Uh, they lost to USC and Ohio State to, to get to eight and four. So a pretty solid first season for Marcus Freeman, the new head coach there, despite the weirdness and some of the other uh, losses. The key question in this game is at quarterback. They lost Drew Pine, their starter, to, to transfer to Arizona State. The guy who was the starter at the beginning of the season is Tyler Buckner. He was hurt. He's on track to come back and potentially play in this game. I don't think it's one of those things that might be close to a game time decision. They've also had Michael Mayer, one of the best tight ends in college football. He's preparing for the NFL draft. Isaiah Foskey, I think their best pass rusher, is also out for this game. So Notre Dame is a little bit shorthanded. But I think what they want to do to South Carolina is pretty clear. They are going to come in and try and run the ball. They've got three really good running backs, good offensive line. No matter who's a quarterback, they're basically just going to say, we can be more physical than you and better than you at the line of scrimmage. But the ultimate X factor in this game is if you're South Carolina, you got Spencer Rattler, and that might be the difference in this game because I feel a lot better about South Carolina's quarterback situation right now than I do Notre Dame. Yeah, and, and everybody that listens to this show knows uh, what a big fan we are of Pete Limbo, special teams coordinator. Stephen is as well. I, I heard an interview with him the other day, Stephen. He said, hey, I study all these teams and their special teams, and the one I did not want to play, Notre Dame. So I don't know much about Notre Dame special teams. Maybe you can fill in, but it, it sounds like an elite showdown of uh, of two of the best special teams units in the country. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that uh, Brian Mason is their uh, special teams coach. He came over from Cincinnati. That's probably more than than you ever wanted to know about the other day's special teams coach. But they have been really good at blocking kicks. Uh, they really don't have a weakness on special teams. If you go back to the game against Clemson, they blocked a punt early on that sort of changed the momentum for that game. So, you know, I, on paper, this looks like to me a pretty even matchup. The odds have it, you know, two points, three points. Special teams might make a, a difference here, especially if you're South Carolina without, uh, you know, Marshawn Lloyd and some others in this game. So it really does feel like something like that might play a pretty big role in the outcome, given that both these teams are a little shorthanded. And one thing I've not heard uh, a ton of conversation on, Stephen, but no Marcus Satterfield. Hey, we were cheering when he left Gamecock fans. This, I mean... What happens if they lay an egg out here? I mean, my God, I think we can be calling for him. Surely we're not going to be calling for him back, but uh, I kind of kid by saying that. But, I mean, I mean, if Spencer Rattler's on, it's hard for me to see the Gamecocks losing. If he's if he's inconsistent, though, um, I mean, this this could be a tough one to win. Is it that simple to how well Spencer Rattler and this, this offense can throw the ball? 100%. I think – South Carolina, I think, has the big advantage at quarterback in this game. And I do think you can make some plays on Notre Dame secondary, provided you can hold up up front. So I think for South Carolina, it's number one, Rattler's got to have a great game. Number two, I think they have to hold up offensive and defensive lines. If Notre Dame's just running the ball all day, controlling time possession, I don't think that's the game that uh, that South Carolina wants to play. I think South Carolina needs to get ahead on the scoreboard early and force Notre Dame to throw it. The, without Michael Mayer, they really don't have a number one weapon. I mean, the, the drop-off from Michael Mayer, he had 67 receptions, and the next player had 30. 
and receiver has been really thin for Notre Dame all year. So I, I think if you're South Carolina, jump on Notre Dame early and force them out of their comfort zone. All right, and then on Wednesday here, Stephen, we got uh, what should be a heck of a matchup. Arkansas, Kansas in the Liberty Bowl. Hopefully they play that game. I, I was hearing some. there's some kind of water crisis down at Memphis, so uh, you know, watch out for that. But uh, thoughts on this matchup, Stephen? Because, man, talk about a team, a coach, a program that, my God, do they need a win. It's at Arkansas Razorbacks after a difficult finish to the season. These fans are not going to let Sam Pittman uh, give him a day of rest if he loses this football game. This this feels like a must win for the Razorbacks. It, it does. And, you know, I, I hate to bring up the motivation word again, but I think there's a ton of motivation here on both sides. I mean, Arkansas, you mentioned it. Everything that's gone on, the losing the end of the season to Missouri, just finishing six and six. They won't have Drew Sanders. There's no bumper pool. They're missing some other pieces, especially a receiver. I think there's a lot of motivation for Arkansas, despite that, to finish this year on a high note. On the other side of things, Kansas, just getting to a bowl game this year is a big deal. They were 23 in 118 from 2010 to 2021 until they hired Lance Leopold and he's turned things around in his second year. This is going, there should be some fireworks in this game because both teams can score. Uh, we've mentioned the, the Arkansas defensive issues. Kansas struggles to stop the run. They struggle to stop the pass. If I'm Arkansas, this is a game that Jefferson and Rocket Sanders should be able to carry them to a victory. That offensive line should be able to win this game at the line of scrimmage. I do think Kansas, um, you know, they have a quarterback in, in Jalen Daniels who started the year red hot. He got hurt. He came back, and I don't think he was 100%, but he's got a month to get ready for this game. And I think he's capable of giving this defense a lot of trouble. So I'm, I'm, this one is very high on my list of must see games. I think we are going to see a fun back and forth high scoring game. Yeah, Stephen, with your motivation, you're starting to sound like Jimbo Fisher and his execution that we had to hear about week in, week out. If only they'd execute a little bit better down there in College Station, we'd be previewing Texas A&M in a Birmingham Bowl here, but uh, they, of course, fell short of that. So, yeah, the fireworks should be a, a, bl a blast in here in the Liberty Bowl. I can't wait for that one. Uh, will we be having the same conversation we're having about drink that we're – you think we'll have the same one with Sam Pittman if we're sitting here at 6-7 and seven or – do you, I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that? Or maybe it's, maybe it's just completely different here. No, I think it's a fair conversation about direction, maybe, because I don't I don't think I, I would put Pittman on the hot seat or getting warm list. But I do think offseason direction probably determines what we're talking about at the end of 2023, because if we're sitting here saying they lose this game and they go into next season at six and seven. Maybe they don't get as many portal additions as we, we think. We're sitting here talking this time next year, hot seat maybe uh, for 2024. So bowl games, like we said, you can't read too much into them, but I do think there is a certain, certain like off-season narrative that you can set and sort of pinpoint a larger direction maybe about where this is going. Now on the flip side, Stephen, I would, I would sit here and say Drew Sanders. He's going to be a top draft pick because he transferred in. 
Uh, Jadon Hazelwood. I don't know where he's going to get drafted, but he'll probably get drafted. He was nowhere close before he set, set foot here. Matt Landers. I don't know if he'll get drafted, but he probably should be. He was nowhere close. So, I mean, they have, they're bringing, uh, John Ridgeway was another one last year. They are bringing guys in here and they're, they're developing them, getting them to the NFL. That's what I'd be selling if I was Arkansas on, on the transfer portal. I 100% agree with you. I, I think that is a, a strong selling point if I'm Arkansas. You, you look at what they did as far as portal additions. I mean, even Felipe Franks. I mean, he's been in the NFL from from being a starter at Arkansas that one year. I know he's moved around positions a little bit, but that would be a huge selling point if I'm Sam Pittman is, hey, our defense was awful. There's spots available on the two deep. You could come in and compete right away for a potential rotation or a starting piece next season. So I, I think Arkansas has a lot to sell. And you could also look at the season. I mean, they lost to A&M in one of the weirdest endings that we've seen. There was the game against Mississippi State where K.J. Jefferson was hurt. They've had some things that just went out of their control. But if they can fix the defense, you've got one of the the SEC's better quarterbacks coming back next year. So this could all turn around pretty quick next year for Arkansas if they get this right. All right. And then we also got the Texas Bowl. Stephen, Ole Miss versus Texas Tech. Uh, Thoughts on this matchup? And by God, don't you mention motivation. High interest level for Texas Tech. Uh, they're, they're, of course, they're played in Texas, so they will try to defend home turf. You know, over under for this game is about 70, 71. So, offense, I have a game for you as Ole Miss and Texas Tech meet up uh, in the Texas Bowl. I think this really comes down to one thing, and, and that is whichever defense is going to get enough stops. Texas Tech has trouble against the run. We know Ole Miss, over the course of the season, uh, the defense was trending in the wrong direction. Fun little stat about Texas Tech. They beat Texas and Oklahoma for the first time in the regular season, both of those teams this year. Uh, you look at, you know, sometimes when you try to figure out how they were winning games, they just found ways to, to win games. They were a typical kind of Texas Tech team. They have a pretty good offense, depth at the skill talent position. Tyler Shuck is their quarterback. He transferred from Oregon a few years ago. Um, defense, Better than it has been, still probably questionable. Um, and they're missing their best player on defense, Tyree Wilson. He's out for this game due to injury. So there's plenty of potential for Ole Miss to run the ball well in this game and also plenty of potential for Texas Tech to put up points too. So I, I think, as I said, if you like offense, this will be a game for you. A little off topic, Stephen, but we did kind of open with uh, talking recruiting and an early signing period uh, one thing i wanted to ask you old miss finished very poorly uh, if we're just talking high school recruiting i think they're ranked like 13th and out of 14 in the sec and of course if you add in texas and oklahoma 15th out of 16th which is not going to cut it with the expectation levels i mean they're disappointed right now with eight and four which they probably should be because they're what, 7-0 and starting out the season. But let me ask you this, Steve. I mean, this is something we kind of all offseason people were discussing. Can, can this work, bringing in all these transfer portal pieces? And to a large extent, it did work. Fell short in a couple games, obviously, but they, they had the opportunity to win the West late in the season. And, and Lane Kiffin said, don't judge us on this. I mean, this is an incomplete picture. We're going to be adding more guys. I assume he's talking high school and transfer, of course. But 
Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And, and do you like the strategy? He's, he's already kind of proven it. It can work. Is it sustainable? I don't know. I'm kind of asking you a lot of things at once, but what, what's your thoughts on, on Kiffin's strategy towards building a roster? You know, I, I kind of use an NFL analogy for this. You know, I, I think you always want to do well in recruiting. I, I think that's your draft. You know, transfer portal is free agency. I, I think the the thought process for me on Kiffin is, you know, he's still building the program at Ole Miss. And so I think the hope would be in the next few years, maybe you aren't taking as many transfers. You're able to build up through the freshman and sophomore ranks. I, I will say I love the additions of Chris Marshall and Trey Harris, at receiver for Ole Miss. I think they need some real difference makers on the outside and some depth at that position. And I think you could also make a case that, hey, they get Jackson Dart back for another offseason. Um, Judkins, they hit on him, uh, kind of probably under-recruited, undervalued recruit as well. So I think Kiffin has a good eye for talent, and I think he has a good eye for putting it in the right position. I, w- If I'm an Ole Miss fan, I would definitely like to see probably more high-profile through the freshman ranks, and then over time reducing your need on the transfer portal. So maybe it's a long way of saying, I think, to be determined. You know, that's that's to me the only knock on on you know Kiffin from a long term perspective is that you know he wasn't he hasn't been somewhere long enough to to be there six years to turn over a program and, and develop. So I I think the jury's still out on that one. I'm just glad you didn't say motivation. All right, and then last one. Save this last because I don't know how many damn points are going to be scored here. Kentucky, Iowa, Music City Bowl. The over-under, I still I think it's still 31 for some reason. No Will Levis, no Chris Rodriguez, no offensive coordinator. <laughs> I mean, I, I know they both got good defenses, so I, I don't know. What, what's this going to be, a 6-2 six to, six to two type ball game? Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you if you watch the NFL, the Titans and Texans did a nice tribute to this game on Sunday. It was low scoring, a lot of mistakes, um, some questionable overall play. I'll use an M word, mistakes. I think mistakes are going to define this game because uh, both Kentucky and Iowa, probably not a lot of offensive firepower in this game. Uh, you know, Iowa's has the starting quarterback for Iowa has attempted not to. Not one, but zero passes in his college <laughs> career. He's their third stringer. And they also went seven of their 12 games this year. They were under 30 points. You can look at all the stats. They were bad. Uh, 2.9 yards per carry. I could go on and on. I was not very good on offense. It's probably going to be about small mistakes in this game. Like which team wins the turnover battle? Iowa has an excellent punter. He's probably one of the best in the country. Field position, maybe somebody can score on defense. That's to me that that's the the story of the game. Small mistakes are going to add up. Special teams turnovers because it's really hard to see both of these teams putting together enough drives to to win this game on offense. Well, zero pass attempts. That's going to match, I believe, who K- Kentucky's got because I think they're playing. Um, it's either Destin or Keaton Wade. They're twin brothers, true freshmen, never played. That's who apparently that's who Kentucky's going to start. And the story is, Stephen. You know they were they were down to Tennessee and Kentucky. They went to Kentucky because this they promised this kid he could at least attempt to play quarterback. Where Tennessee, I think, basically said, "Well, you can try, but you're a defensive back." So. 
I think we're just going back to uh, remember that year with Lynn Bowden under center. <laughs> we're doing it for one game. Vince Morrow's calling the plays. I don't know. He's a tight ends coach. I don't know if he's ever called a, a I don't, to my knowledge, he's not called plays ever. So yeah, I mean, you, well, you and him are on a first name basis. <laughs> you got to find this out. <laughs> He, he DMs me almost as much as Hugh Freeze. Yeah, so uh, maybe I ought to ask him about the game plan. But, yeah, the points are certainly going to be at a premium. I think it's going to be chew the clock, rest our defense, and like you said, who who makes the mistake? So this will be fun in, in one metric, not, not like uh, Arkansas, Kansas, or Ole Miss, Texas Tech, but it'll be fun on, on another, so. Hey, it's SEC football. I'll be watching, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a wild one. You know what? I think maybe the best offensive strategy for Kentucky is let Barry and Brown and Dane Key just take all the snaps in the bowl game. <laughs> let them run 50 times because, I mean, they've got the big play potential. You might just need one long touchdown run and one other big play to win this game. I mean, it, it is, like you said, it is a Lynn Bowden style game. I mean, Iowa is very good on defense. I know their offense is is not safe for work, uh, but they can play some good defense. So it, it's going to take some creativity on someone's part to probably score some points here. Well, Stephen, I, I really do appreciate these conversations. I've taken enough of your time, and it's the day after Christmas. So really appreciate you hopping on here, previewing all these SEC games, talking on some SEC football. Before you go, can you tell the audience one last time where to give you a follow? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Steven. You can check out all my work at AthlonSports.com and on YouTube, all CFB365. Well, Steven, I hope you uh, have a rest. It's not really the weekend anymore. It feels like the weekend, but a, a great week leading up to the bowl games. It's going to be a, a great time. But I can't thank you enough for stopping by and uh, having a conversation here with us. Absolutely, man. Thanks as always for having me on. All right. So just want to say thanks again to Stephen for joining the show. Always dropping that knowledge on us. Uh, You know, it's been quite the season to have him on. And I hope uh, you guys really appreciate that we've been doing that this year. I think it adds tremendous value to the show and gives the Tennessee homer a much needed rest but he'll be back on the next episode got some sec games to preview break down all that so hey stay with us here we're gonna be full loaded all week long with shows now that we're kind of back to a normal schedule i hope everybody had a great holiday weekend that's gonna do it for this episode of the show we'll catch you on the next one Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.